So uh, we have been, uh, really for the past month, uh, focusing on the church uh, in the Bible class. And of course, you know, we, we looked at uh, some of the things that, um, you know, the, the, our people are separating Jesus from the church. And then last week we looked at a parable or a couple of parables of Jesus in Matthew 13. We'll be in Matthew 13 again uh, this morning. Uh, but last week we talked about the value of the kingdom. And do we understand how valuable the kingdom, which is the church, is to you and I? You know, we kind of made the points that um, not too many people uh, really see that great value that we should. Because Matt, in Matthew, Jesus compared um, the, the kingdom of heaven, again, which is in reference to the church, as a great treasure, or a, a costly pearl that uh, somebody, you know, they, they dug up a field, they found this great treasure, so they buried it back in the ground, they went and sold all that they had, and came back and purchased that field, because it had the greatest treasure available to man, uh, the kingdom of heaven. And again, Jesus is, he is teaching them as he's preparing them for the day the church is going to come in Acts chapter 2, he's preparing them for this day, and he's, you know, he's, he's letting them know um, you know, just how great, how valuable uh, the church is going to be. And this, uh, this morning, we're going to look at a parable in Matthew 13, verse 31 through 33. Again, two very short parables. Again, just like last week. But instead of the value of the church, we're going to really be talking about the growth of the church, the, the explosion or the expansion of the church uh, that Jesus says is going to happen. So again, um, you know, just to kind of recap, you know, Jesus taught in parables. Uh, really, some, some uh, scholars have said over a third of his teaching was in parable form. Um, you know, he, he really didn't leave uh, his truths uh, to some just, hey, you need to do this and this and this. But he, he illustrated it for us. Uh, he made it easier for us to remember. Again, he could have said, you know, beware of showy, showiness in religion. You know, but instead he said... Don't blow your trumpets uh, when you do your giving, right? And so that kind of helps us uh, cement those things in our mind, helps us remember it better. Uh, they, they pop out to us. And again, a parable is an earthly story with heavenly meaning. Um, and and the, the, the Greek word para and bole, it means to toss alongside something. And so what you're doing is you're taking the story and you're comparing it. Uh, you're taking an earthly story and you're comparing it to what it means uh, in a heavenly, a spiritual meaning. And again, he did this to make his teaching clear to those who were truly seeking. He did this to conceal the truth for those who had wrong attitudes. Uh, again, really, uh, it's to preserve or cement these truths for, time, for years to come. You know? I mean, who hasn't heard of the prodigal son right, in Luke 15? You know, one of the great parables of Jesus. And even those uh, who do not... Um, you know, are not religious at all, they might have heard that in their lifetime because it's such a great uh, parable. Again, they cause us to dig deeper and to seek the truth. And so uh, parables, again, were part of Jesus's repertoire of how he taught, and they're important to understand. And so we are going to look at, again, Matthew 13, uh, starting in verse 31, of a couple of more of these really short uh, parables. So let, let's Dig in here in Matthew 13, starting in verse 31 through 32. He's going to give us a parable here. He says, 
He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So this first parable, he is describing uh, the church, the kingdom of heaven, like a mustard seed. And then look at verse 33. He says, he spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. So the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed and the kingdom of heaven is like leaven. What stands out to you uh, as, you know, what, uh, about those two parables uh, comparison wise? about the mustard seed and leaven. The mustard seed is small. Exactly, yeah. So the mustard seed is one of the smallest things, and we'll touch on that a little bit, and leaven is also a small thing. And so we've got two small things, maybe almost insignificant things, that when planted or when placed uh, in, in a dough of bread are going to rise, going to explode, to go forth. And so that's what Jesus is talking about, the kingdom of heaven. The church is like a mustard seed. When planted, it's going to grow from this little bitty seed. It's going to grow and expand and, and um, grow even bigger to some of the trees. And the birds of the air are going to come and, and rest upon it. And leaven, you know, just a little piece of leaven. You know, you put that in, in the dough and you knead it in there. And that, row, that, that dough is going to start to rise. Right? And so that's how Jesus is describing the kingdom of heaven in this fashion. And so um, we're, going to see, we're going to see this morning how that, actual, how that actually came to fruition. Um, uh, history has recorded for us uh, in the Bible, in, Acts, in, the, in the book of Acts especially, how these things came to be. So... Why did Jesus choose the mustard seed? Well, as Mike pointed out, it's a small seed uh, that was sown in the garden. <clears throat> it says here in um, Matthew 13, verse uh, 31, or in verse 32, he says that, that is smaller than all other seeds. Well, he's not saying that it's the smallest of seeds that exist, but in that part of the country, or in that part you know, of that nation, or that part of the the place where they lived, you know, the mustard seed was what they knew as the, the smallest seed. But yet that small seed would grow up to, you know, I read up to, it could grow up to 10 feet, maybe even 15 feet. It, it would dwarf some of the, the trees in the area. Uh, but this, again, the small seed grew something great. Um, it was a proverbial thing to say, you know, as small as a mustard seed in that in that culture, you, you know, you would compare something and say it was as small as a mustard seed. That's how they uh, understood the mustard seed. Again, it, it was a small thing. And uh, he even, Jesus uh, being, even compares their faith later on in Matthew chapter 17 to a mustard seed. Uh, look at what Jesus says in Matthew 17, verse 20. He says, uh, and he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith, 
For truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Right, so Jesus is really, he's, he's talking about the, uh, the quality of our faith, uh, the quality of our faith. It's not about how big it is, because if it's the size of a mustard seed, if it's that small, if it's that quality, you know, he, he says, you can move mountains. Or, um, you know, you can say to this tree, be uprooted and plant itself in a river, he says uh, somewhere else uh, within the gospel accounts. But again, you know, the point is the kingdom of heaven is going to start out like this mustard seed and it's going to get planted and it's just going to explode. Uh, Its growth is going to be phenomenal and it's going to start from these small beginnings. Well, let's think about that for a second. Uh, the, the kingdom of heaven, the church, going to start from small beginnings. You know, th- that's exactly, you know, the, how the founder of the church uh, came about as well, wasn't it? The, from the very beginning, you know, you know if, if we were there, if we were witnessing these things, um, our eyes would evaluate it as well that way. Uh, it must, you know, it must have appeared that the, the Christian uh, movement was desired or was destined for failure, right? If you were there and seeing this and you're seeing this one man and he had his 12 apostles and this man, you know, was taken to the cross and died on the cross. And if you're just a bystander watching it, you know, you wouldn't think much of that, that that something great would have came from that. Um, But of course, this was by divine design. Let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 53. And let's look at a few verses here in Isaiah chapter 53. Extremely, extremely uh, messianic chapter uh, in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. And we'll just look at the first few verses here. Starting in verse 1, Isaiah writes, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from men hide their face, he was despised and did not esteem him. So, you know, I want to focus on verse 2. Did you notice what Isaiah says there about, about the Christ, about the coming Messiah? He says that he grew up before God like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. Now, are a lot of things going to grow out of a parched ground? No, that's, that's not great um, conditions for, for growing things. But this tender shoot, uh, the, which is representing uh, the Messiah, the Christ is going to come out of these conditions. And so when we look in the New Testament, you know, that, that's exactly what happened. The, the odds were not stacked in his favor. You know, Jesus came uh, in this life as a baby, you know, not as that valiant conqueror that, um, that the Jews were hoping for, right? They were hoping that the Messiah, uh, the Christ, uh, the anointed one was going to come. You know, he was going to come riding in on, on a on a horse, and he was going to liberate the people. He was going to take down the Roman government. 
and free the people from the, from the bondage that they were in, from the taxes that they were having to pay. Uh, you know, that's what they imagined uh, the Christ was going to be. But of course, you know, we know through Scripture that that's not how it happened. Right? Jesus was born, uh, born of a woman, Galatians 4.4 4 says, in the fullness of time. You know, God waited for that perfect time to bring Jesus into the earth to be born of a woman and to grow and to live a perfect life, a sinless life, and to be that sacrifice for us. And so he, you know, he had these humble beginnings, uh, you know, from the manger uh, where uh, he, he was born in Bethlehem. Again, there was no fanfare about this. There were no trumpets. There were, he had no vast armies, but he just came um, just like you and I into the world. And from that very beginning, you know, um, evil men such as Herod the Great, you know, he attempted to kill the Lord. He was threatened by him. And what did he have done in the land uh, of Bethlehem? I remember Herod had all the, all the male uh, children, two years and younger, uh, you know, killed, slaughtered. Uh, because, you know, he was hoping to take out uh, the Christ. Uh, but, of course, uh, they had fleed uh, from there. Um, but even in Bethlehem, uh, he was born, and where he was raised in, in Nazareth, you know, Nazareth was uh, not really referred to as a good place, was it? It had a stigma about it. In John uh, chapter 1, verse 46... John 1.46, Nathanael said uh, to uh, him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Right? Uh, Nazareth had a stigma about it. Uh, how could the Christ, how could our Savior come from a, such a excuse me, despised place such as Nazareth? And, you know, as we read about uh, the Lord and his uh, education growing up, you know, John chapter 7, verse 15, you know, the people were astounded at Jesus and what he was able to do. They were astounded. They said, uh, the Jews, when they were astonished, saying, how has this man become learned, having never been educated? Right? So uh, the, the Christ, uh, they, they knew, never was educated in their ways, uh, the rabbinical uh, training, the training uh, with the, the rabbis. Uh, that all of the Pharisees and such would have had to go through. Um, again, this, this couldn't be their leader, right? The, this couldn't be the Messiah. Uh, the Bible also tells us that Jesus grew up poor, right? He, he, he didn't have the resources uh, to build a kingdom. Second uh, Corinthians verse 8, verse 9 is a, a unique passage uh, that talks about, that Paul here says, that for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Paul says that Jesus was rich in heaven, but he came to earth. He put all that stuff away. Right? He, he came in the flesh. He became poor for our sake. Uh, it means to be as poor as a beggar. That's how poor the, the, the creator of the world, our creator, was. 
while he lived on earth. He was as poor as a beggar. We know that he had no place to lay his head. We see that in the, in the, um, the gospel accounts as well. You know, he, he didn't have a home. He had no place to lay his head. And this man, he started off with 12 apostles. Right? He just had these 12 followers uh, with him. Again, no political machine, no worldly fame. You know, even his, his brothers were unimpressed with him. Even his brothers. Uh, John chapter 7 and verse 5 says, For even his brothers were, um, for not even his brothers were believing in him. So, so we look at all these things that are stacked uh, against Jesus from our vantage point. Uh, these, th- these things, uh, how he came into the world, um, how he grew up, the, the lack of resources that he had. So how did the kingdom succeed? How did the kingdom begin as this mustard seed, the small little seed planted in the ground, and it just grew and grew and grew and expanded? Um, how did Christianity become from what it was to what it is today? Uh, the, um, you know, how did that happen? Well, we, we could also, as we've looked at kind of the life of, of the Christ, well, what about his ambassadors, the ambassadors of the kingdom? You know, let's think about that for a second. The apostles were pretty ordinary individuals, were they not? I mean, these weren't kings, uh, dignitaries. They, several, of, several of them were humble fishermen. Um, Acts, 4, Acts chapter 4, verse 13, we get a glimpse as to their background as well. Speaking about um, Peter and John in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now, as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Right? So even the followers of Jesus were these untrained, uneducated men. Maybe your version says they were unlearned and ignorant men. Just really uh, talking about their... The training, you know, the training that a rabbi would have, would have gotten in, the, in that day, uh, they didn't have that. So how are they going around teaching these great things about God? Um, you know, we also noticed that they forsook their businesses, didn't they? Jesus told them to follow me, and, and they dropped their nets, and, and they went with Jesus, right? They were no longer fishing uh, for, um, for, you know, their, their lives, uh, they, they forsook their, their past employment, uh, and they were following Jesus uh, and, and living that way. Um, again, you know, wh- how did this kingdom, uh, with basically no resources, starting from a tiny mustard seed to where it is today, how uh, did that happen? You remember when, when they went on their preaching tours? Remember, Jesus had them go uh, basically with nothing. Uh, they weren't to take very much things with them. And think about the dynamics of this group. I don't know if you've ever studied this, uh, but you think of uh, two of the individuals within uh, Jesus' 12 apostles. We can think of Matthew. Right? What was Matthew's occupation? He was a tax collector, right. Were tax collectors fun? Or were, were they seen as uh, uh, good uh, you know, friends of the Jews? No, they, 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 were, they themselves were Jews. Matthew was a Jew, but he was working for the Roman government, wasn't he? 
He was working for the Roman government. And because of that, um, he, was a, he was a publican, another word for tax collector in, in Scripture. And he was in a hated class of men. You know, he was seen as a traitor. He was working for the, the Roman government and collecting taxes. You know, maybe he collected some taxes and he took some for himself as well. Maybe charged them a little bit more. And so because of that, uh, the tax collectors were seen in a very bad light to the Jewish nation. But, you know, we, we know the story of Matthew or Levi. And Jesus comes and he tells them to follow me. And Jesus, or excuse me, and Matthew follows uh, Jesus. And so we've got Matthew on this side. But then Simon the Zealot, uh, one of Jesus' other 12 apostles. You know, we're not told much about Simon uh, the Zealot. He's not uh, spoken about much in, in the scriptures. But uh, what the Zealots were is that they, they were a class of individuals that they despised the Roman government. Right? They, 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 they were known to carry around daggers in their cloaks. And if they got, you know, a Roman official alone somewhere, you know, they might have, you know, killed them. Uh, they, they hated the Roman government that much. And they were, they were zealots. They were zealous for uh, the Jewish nation. And so uh, this group, um, you know, they were, they were pretty intense in the things that they did. And we see Jesus brought these two individuals together. He brought Matthew, a tax collector, and Simon the zealot uh, into the same uh, uh, apostleship, uh, followers of him. Any, again, in any other situation, Simon probably would have, you know, if he had Matthew alone somewhere, he would probably would have ended his life. Um, that's, that's what it came down to. Uh, but Christ, he brought them together. He brought them together, the, these different uh, individuals. And so again, we think, how did this group launch the mighty kingdom of Christ? How did it start from this mustard seed and expand? And the church grew and it exploded. Uh, you know, we, we looked... Uh, few weeks ago in Isaiah chapter 2 about how uh, Isaiah is prophesying about the church that is to come and he says that you know all nations are going to flow into it you know all the nations of the world are going to flow uh, into this kingdom this coming kingdom and so you know this rapid growth should be expected right it was prophesied uh, to happen that way and so it should be expected and so we've seen you know, the, the humble beginnings of the, the one who built this church and those who were following him and, and, you know, assisting him along the way. And so then we get to uh, Acts chapter 2, right? We get to Acts chapter 2, and are we stunned? Are we stunned by the growth that we see of the church? Maybe, maybe you are, maybe you're not. But let's, let's look at some of this as we progress throughout Acts, uh, starting in chapter 2. Verse 41, you know, of course, uh, Peter preaches that first gospel sermon in Acts chapter 2 uh, on the day of Pentecost. Uh, you know, remember the, the, the tongue, uh, the Holy Spirit descended upon the, the apostles, and the apostles are now speaking in tongues, meaning they're speaking in lang known languages that they personally don't know how to speak. And they're speaking to all these people who are gathered there on the Pentecost from all over and they're speaking in their own languages, and they're telling them all about how uh, the Christ came, and he lived, and he died, and that he was the, the son of David, and that all of these things took place, happened just like they were. And the Jews, when they heard this, remember it says in verse 37, 
Now when they heard this, they were pierced to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And that, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Okay, but now notice verse 41. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about three thousand souls right that first day that the church was in existence three thousand individuals were baptized and added to the church the kingdom the kingdom of heaven the church is now in existence and on that first day three thousand i mean if you're going to talk about a mustard seed you know growing into something huge i mean that that's quite a bit now, a lot of people will kind of talk and look back and say, well, there were millions of people in that area. You know, it's the day of Pentecost, and people are coming in from all over the, the world to uh, worship uh, God. And so you only got 3,000 out of, you know, so many million. But still, 3,000 people were added to the church that day. Verse 47 in uh, chapter 2, and having... Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So day by day from that point on, people were being baptized and being added to the church and being saved. Uh, and then, you know, as we continue on just this quick peruse through the book of Acts, you look at Acts 4 verse 4. But many of those who had heard the message believed and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So a couple chapters later, you know, it's grown from 3,000 to 5,000. Um, chapter 5, verse 14, here Luke records, And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly added to their number. So again, continuing to increase. Uh, chapter 6, verse 7, The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. So it, they're continuing to grow and, and build, but and now even the priests are, are becoming obedient to the word and to the faith. And Acts chapter 8, and this is kind of a little, um, a little uh, prop to the, the sermon this evening. We're going to talk about Luke, or excuse me, Acts chapter 8 a little bit. Uh, so if you come back, you know, we'll get more into detail into this, but in Luke... Or, in Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 1, um, it says that Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death, being uh, Stephen. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentations over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Look at verse 4. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. All right, so now that we see the, the, the church in Jerusalem, it's growing and growing and growing, and, but now of this great persecution that's happening to the church, the people are starting to spread out. They're starting to spread out, but they're not spreading out and staying quiet. Right, the verse says that they are being scattered, but they're also preaching the word. And so the church is expanding uh, greater and greater by chapter well, still in chapter 8, um, Philip meets with the Ethiopian eunuch. 
right? And he teaches him about the gospel. And the Ethiopian eunuch is on his way back to Ethiopia, you know, northern Africa. He's, he's taking the gospel back with him. And so, again, it's being spread. Uh, and then we get into chapter 9, verse 31. Uh, it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up, and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. Right? So the church is no longer just in Jerusalem. It's in all, it's in Judea and Galilee and Samaria. It's starting to spread uh, further and further. The further along we get in the book of Acts, we get to chapters 10 and 11. And Peter is going to go to the, the home of Cornelius. Remember, he's, uh, he's a Gentile. He, he's um, going to be the first convert of the Gentiles to the church. And so now the, the, the gates have been opened up to the Gentiles. And so, again, more individuals are being added to the church. In chapter 12, verse 24, again, we see another verse that speaks to the growth of the church. But the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. Right? This thing that started as a mustard seed is now exploding. You know, Acts 13, Paul's going on his first missionary journey uh, by Acts um, 15 and 16, he's going on his second missionary journey, and this time he's going into uh, Europe. And, you know, he's, he's going to go into, um, into Europe, and people are going to say in chapter 17, verse 6, that th these people came and they've turned the world upside down. They've turned it upside down, or that the, they've upset the world, right? Because now the world um, is, is hearing the gospel message. Right? They're, they're hearing about Jesus, and it's turning the world upside down. And even, um, you know, if we were to get into Colossians uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 23, Paul's going to say something about the expansion of the church. He says, Colossians 1, verse 23, he says, If indeed you continue in the faith firmly established and steadfast and not moved away from the hope of the gospel that you have heard, which was proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, was made a minister. So you see there, Paul is saying that the gospel has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Whether that's figurative or literal, you know, that, that's up for debate. Uh, whether, it, you know, it, it reached the ears of every single person or if it's just, you know, the known, uh, the, the known world at that time. He said that the gospel has been proclaimed in all creation. Again, this mustard seed that has been planted and has grown and expanded and it is exploded. The church has exploded throughout the book of Acts. And so we've noticed, um, you know, why Jesus compared uh, the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed, right? Um, something so little, something so small and insignificant and it just took off. It took off and we see that through the book of Acts. Let's go back to Matthew 13 and finish out the last parable, you know, kind of in the same, um, same essence, but, you know, maybe a little bit different. He gives us a little bit of different uh, comparison, a different parable in verse 33. He says, of Matthew 13, he says he spoke another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. Right, so, you know, if you were a cook in the first century, you know, you couldn't simply go to the store and buy leaven. 
Well, you know, what is leaven today? What do we know it as? Maybe ladies can help me out. Uh, yeast. yeast, right? Uh, baking soda, maybe? Baking powder? No? Yeast. Yeah, yeast and, is one of them. But maybe I shouldn't ask the ladies to help out. Maybe, maybe I should have just not asked that question. But, right, right. So in the first century... You know, you wouldn't be able to go to the store and purchase those things, right? What you did is, you know, you, you grew, or not grew, but you, you baked a lump of dough, and, you know, you cut off a little piece of that, and you save it for later. You know, you eat that bread, but you save a little piece of it for later, so that when you go to make your next lump of dough, you know, you add that into the, you add that leaven to the lump of dough, and that's, you're going to knead it in there, and that's how it's going to, um, it's going to ferment the bread it's going, as, as it starts to bake, and it's going to cause that expansion, right? That, that's what leaven does. And, you know, it, leaven is throughout the scriptures, right? Probably in the Old Testament, it's most, um, we're most familiar with it uh, during the Passover time, right? The, the Jews were told to remove all the leaven from their house, right? They were to get rid of it, to burn it, you know, just get it out of your house um, before the Passover. Because what leaven had become, what it had come to symbolize, represent over time was corruption and and evil, things that can quickly um, spread. And in the New Testament, when we read of leaven, it's usually always associated with... um, a negative aspect. Um, we're told in the gospel accounts, uh, Jesus tells uh, his followers to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Right? And he's not telling them to beware of the, you know, that piece of bread or you know, uh, that, uh, that leavens, but he's telling them to beware of their, the, the negative or the hypocritical aspects of their groups. Beware of those things. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you remember, the church in Corinth had some pretty bad things going on, right? And there was, the one thing was that there was a man who had his father's wife, and the church there was, well, the, they, were, they were sort of supporting it. They were, they were puffed up about it, the Bible says. They were arrogant about that. They, they, they weren't getting rid of this sin that was going on within their congregation. And Paul, he's writing to them in 1 Corinthians 5, and he says, he says that you need to, um, well, he says a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough, and clean it out. Right? He compares to that sin to a piece of leaven, and he says you need to get that leaven out of the congregation. Get it out. Uh, Galatians 5.9, he says pretty much the same thing. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. And in this aspect, he's talking about these false teachers um, who are trying to come in and uh, have the, uh, the Christians continue... Um, Circumcision. Um, they wanted to keep part of the old law in, in, in Christianity. And Paul says, you need to get that leaven out. Right? That leavening influence, that evil uh, influence that's penetrating the church. And it's going to start in one corner and it's just going to start to spread. But here in Matthew 13, this is the only time where we're, we see in the New Testament that leaven is associated um, with, with a good aspect. And again... Um, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven, so the church is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. 
So just, just a few thoughts uh, this morning about uh, this leaven. Um, you know, what can we learn from leaven? Well, one thing is, is that, you know, leaven can only work if it's in the dough, right? You, you, bake, you bake the bread and you save a piece of that leaven for later, and it's only going to work if you put it into that other unleavened uh, dough to start that process. And again, that's the same way with the, the Christians. Our influence, our impact on the world, um, living exemplary lives uh, is only going to happen um, when uh, we are using our leavening influence. Um, Philippians chapter 2. Paul here says in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 14, he says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in this world, holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory, because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. Right? So, um, you know, as the Christian has influence, you know, within congregations, uh, Paul, you know, Paul here in Philippians 2 is saying, you know, do not grumble, do not uh, start disputes, that type of thing, because your influence could permeate throughout the congregation. Right? That's what leaven does. Um, leaven also has the ability to change things. Right? Uh, we know in physical, in the physical aspect, and also uh, Christianity has the ability to change things. We can think of you know, somebody uh, as, as the uh, Saul of Tarsus and how he became the Apostle Paul. He went from one extreme to the other because of Christ. You know, when we become Christians, we are to change our mindsets from the temporal to the eternal. Uh, we, 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 you know, we put away these sinful acts and, and we start doing righteous acts. Um, but also leaven, uh, another aspect of it is it is contagious. Um, you know, again, you, you put the piece of leaven into the unleavened dough, you, you, know, you knead it in, and it's going to start taking effect, right? It's going to start uh, expanding and affecting that whole lump of dough. It's contagious, you know, and that's very similar uh, to Christianity. And, and we see a great example of that in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, um, you know, we often, we often study and talk about the Apostle Peter, you know, because the New Testament talks about him uh, probably more uh, than most of the apostles. But it's his brother, Andrew, in uh, John chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 35 and going uh, down throughout the chapter. It's his brother, Andrew, that goes to Peter. Right? He goes to Peter and tells him that we have found... Uh, the Messiah, we have found the Messiah, and he's super excited about this, right? He's, uh, this is contagious because it's going to take hold of Peter. Um, Philip, one of the other apostles, Philip, when he, in the same chapter, when he hears this, he goes and finds his friend Nathaniel, and he's speaking to him, and he's telling him about the Christ. And it, again, it is a contagious thing, leaven, uh, it's the active working principle. Again, as small as it is, as small as this little piece of leaven, it's taking over this, this whole lump of dough. And that, uh, that's, again, that's how we want to uh, remember, uh, and Jesus wants us to remember, the, the, the church, right? the kingdom of heaven, the church, of how it started as such a thing as a mustard seed 
as a piece of leaven, and it has this great ability to take, take part, either growing up as a mustard seed into this great tree, or, or this piece of leaven going into a lump of dough, and you know, it's just permeating throughout of it, throughout it, expanding it, and you know, the, it's a contagious effect, right? And that, that's how the church ought to be. That's how the church grew in the first century, and that's how it should grow as well today. I think I'm going to end the class uh, right there, uh, in case, unless anyone has any questions. If Yeah, Mike? Thank you. uh, I mean, one one soul, one person makes a great difference in terms of growth. Right. And and just remember, we are the ones that are to water and to plant, you know, and fertilize. But it's God who's going to cause the increase. And so uh, we can work as hard as we can uh, to bring someone to Christ. It just might not happen. Um, But it might happen later. Right, too. Right. Well, I appreciate your your uh, your attention uh, this morning, Brother Mike. If you'd close us out in prayer, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful today for watching us, and we're thankful for us this time for Heavenly Father.